0: Hey family, I'm so excited for all that God has done in the first nine months of our community. There have been so many amazing stories, so many incredible moments, but listen, as exciting as this is, we know that this is only the beginning. Listen, there's so much vision that God has for the Becoming Church, and as part of that vision, we want to continue to serve our community. We want to expand locally. We want to reach spaces of the world. We want to share the story of Jesus. Listen, we often say that we don't determine the vision, but we do get to determine the pace of the vision. And we do that through our Brick Layers offering, which is an annual offering where we get to give above and beyond our normal giving. And so as a church community, we're coming together on December 11th to see what God will do through each of us. And listen, we aren't asking that you give, but we are asking you that you ask God what he would have you to do. I know this family, Jesus is building his church and he's building it brick by brick. To find out ways that you can participate, simply go to becomingchurch.org. Listen, family, the best is still to come. I'm excited excited this morning to be here and be able to share this morning. And are you guys so thankful last week we had team preach. Will you give it up one more time for all of our communicators last week who did such a phenomenal job. And if you haven't had a chance to check that out, please go back on YouTube. just simply The Becoming Church and go uh, check out last week because each communicator did such an amazing job. And I'm so uh, thankful uh, for what God has brought to this house, to this church, to become a church. But today uh, we're beginning a new collection called Bricklayers. And the idea behind Bricklayers is really this, that God has called us to live this big, open, expansive life. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about, you know, big homes and big cars and big money and big vacations and, and all those things. But I'm talking about living life to the, full of the fullness of the call of God that has been placed on our life. That God has not called us to, you know, oftentimes we celebrate the big splash, the overnight success, but God is calling us to live a life where there's significance over time. Are you tracking with me? And that's true with this church. We're not trying to be an overnight success, but we're trying to have significance over time. And you do, do you know how that's accomplished? That's accomplished little by little, bit by bit, piece by piece, small gain by small gain, or you may have gathered brick by brick. You know, when Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church. And when he says that, I don't know what comes to mind. I don't know if it's, you know, structures and buildings that may come to mind. But listen, it's far more than that. When he says, I will build my church, he is essentially saying that he will build your life, In my life. Why? Because we are the church. We are the bricks. And we're gonna get the chance to explore that in just a moment. But at the end of this collection on December 11th, uh, we're gonna have an opportunity to participate in what we're calling our Bricklayers Offering. And our Bricklayers Offering is an annual offering that we'll come together and give beyond our normal giving to accelerate the vision of the Becoming Church. And so we'll accelerate that vision through local expansion. Like, we want to be positioned to continue to make a difference here in this community. That the Becoming Church was not planted to just to be a place of a social gathering or a social club. It wasn't planted to be that at all. But it was here to be a church for the city. And so we want to continue to reach out like we've been doing. You know, we actually launched uh, Belong uh, Youth groups, Belong, our belong groups or small groups here at the church. But over the next year, we want to see that expand. We want to see an actual Belong, excuse me, uh, Becoming Youth ministry launched. It takes provision. It takes resources to be able to do that. We want to continue to reach and feed people in our community. It takes resources, time, and all those things to continue to do that. And so when I say we want to expand locally, that's what that means, family. But also a place to eventually one day call home. I'm not saying that's happening next year. I'm not saying that's happening in two years. But that will happen at the speed of our generosity together. And so when we come together to give on December 11th, that's what we're coming together to do, to continue to position this church to make a difference in the community. And so understand this, that God isn't building our lives up simply just to build us up, but he's building our lives so that we can empower others up. That's why every God dream is always going to be bigger than us. It's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be how about, how can it touch and reach other people? And so know this family, we build up And we're going to use uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, to help lead off this conversation this morning. But before we do, I want to give some context to the text. So Nehemiah is a book who most believe was written by Nehemiah himself. And you may gather this too when you read it because it's kind of written in first person. The book of Nehemiah is kind of written like a personal A diary or a journal. So basically when you read Nehemiah, we're getting a chance to kind of peer into his own little personal uh, writings and personal uh, notes that he's making. And so Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to a Persian king named King Artaxerxes. So Babylon had taken over Jerusalem, but along in that time, Uh, Babylon was conquered by the Persians and so now Nehemiah is a cupbearer to this Persian king named Artaxerxes. And so Jews have been in exile for about 70 years and many of them have started to return. And so the temple has been rebuilt but then Nehemiah gets word that the walls are in ruin. And so something happens when he hears this news. Something stirs up in him, and he wants to rebuild them. And so this is where we're going to lead off in this conversation, in in this uh, series for the next couple of weeks. So y'all ready to rock with that? Let's do it. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So you can flip with me there, scroll with me there, or if you don't have it, it's going to be here on the screens. Now, don't trip on me with these names, Okay. The words of, here we go, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hacaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile And are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you for this opportunity uh, that we have to gather around your word. God, thank you for this moment. God, may, may we not take it lightly or for granted. And I pray, God, over the next few moments, Lord, that you incline our ears. God, open our ears. Allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. God, open our eyes. Allow us to see what it is that you are showing. Here's what we're saying, Lord. Speak, Lord, because we're your servants and we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen, amen. Now, over these next few moments, I do want to make this a conversation. And so if there's something that you hear and it speaks well with you, like God is like, yo, that's for you. You can go ahead and say amen, which means I agree with that. And maybe you feel that it may not be for you, but it may be for your neighbor next to you. So like, yo, that is a word for you. You need to amen. Here's my point. Y'all go ahead, talk back, and then we'll get out of here and get you to lunch. How's that sound? Sounds good? Let's do it. So in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this. He says, and I tell you, or Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what comes to mind when Jesus says, I will build my church? Do programs come to mind? Do uh, ministry departments come to mind? Maybe it's buildings and auditoriums that come to mind. But family, can I tell you, when Jesus says that I will build my church, he is saying that I will build you and your life. Now, as I say that, this is not going to be a TED talk. This is not going to be a self-help conversation. This is not going to be a purpose-pushing moment. But this is for us to understand that we are the church. And when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's not talking about structures and buildings, but he's talking about you and I. And if maybe you're kind of skeptical about that this morning, look at 1 Peter 2.5. It says this, and you are the living stones. So that's you and I. You are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So right there we see, like, who are the living stones? That's us. We are. We are the living stones. Who's doing the building? God is building into what? His spiritual temple. So again, when Jesus says that I will build my church, he's talking about you and I. If that's not enough, you're like, I'm not tracking with you on that. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen. This is Paul. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You and I, we are the church. The church is not buildings and structures and all that. Now, what they are, they are tools. They are things that we can use, but it's you and I that are the church that together, if the local church is going to be the hope of the world, it has to be because the local church mobilized is the hope of the world, that we realize who we are. We realize that we are the church. So when you are in Walmart, you are bringing the church to Walmart. When you are in Target, you're bringing the church to Target. When you're in your place of employment, you're bringing the church there. So we don't go to church. We gather as the church. So this right here on a Sunday morning is a it's the church gathering. This thing that we are experiencing right now is not church. So even our language and how we use that, we have to change. We're not going to church, but rather we are gathering as the church because you and I together collectively are the church. In fact, we're these individual stones or bricks that Jesus is using to build his spiritual house. That's why Galatians 6.10 says that we are the household of faith. And so it's very clear that Jesus is building his church. Now, he is the head of his church, and collectively, we are the body. Now, as I say that, being part of the body is significant for us to take note of. And it's also important for us to understand this, that there are no small roles that any part of the body plays. Oftentimes, people think, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not seen. I'm not heard. I'm not imp- I don't have the right name. I'm not in the right career field, so how can I be used there? I'm not significant in that place. They don't need me. Somebody else has it. Somebody else will take care of it. What I do really doesn't matter. Family, can I tell you that nothing could be further from the truth? What you have matters. Who you are matters. What you carry matters. What you can bring to the table matters. There are no small roles in the body. And if you don't believe that, then let what happened to me be a good example for you. Uh, Four years ago, I ruptured my Achilles. Before then, I never paid attention to my Achilles. It was just that thing back there, right? At the bottom, at the back of the ankle. Never paid attention to it. Never, I mean, why would I? Right? I don't wake up and say, I wonder how my Achilles is feeling this morning. But when I ruptured it, family... I realized very quickly just how important it is. I couldn't drive because it was my right foot. I couldn't play with the kids. I couldn't go to the gym and run on the treadmill. Who am I kidding? I didn't do that (laughs) anyway. But if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. Like, all these things, getting up, going to the kitchen. There we go. Like, I couldn't do that. Like, that was difficult. All these things from this Achilles that seems hidden, that seems insignificant, that seems like nobody is paying attention to it. And some of you may feel like that. You may feel hidden. You may feel like you're not seen at your place of employment. You may feel like nobody knows your name. You may feel like you've been making all of these contributions and it's been going unseen. And then you take we take that same approach to the kingdom. Well, I'm not really going to serve because, well, they got it. Well, I'm not really going to do that because somebody else has it. Family, no, we need you. Like this thing, the becoming church is not built on the talents of a few, but by the sacrifices of many. It takes many people. People to make this thing happen. And I'm so thankful for our serve team that show up on a cold Sunday morning, no matter what the weather is like, they're here and they're setting up, they're getting this place together. Not just here, but on a Saturday morning where we're passing out food or putting up drywall because a family's home caught on fire and we're part of the restoration process. All these things matter. If you if you can take a hammer and nail uh, a, a nail in, we need you. If you can move some chairs, we need you. If you can wave hello to somebody coming into the door, we need you. If you haven't gathered this family, I'm saying there are no small roles in the kingdom, and we need you. There is nothing that is insignificant. It is all significant because everything can play. A part in somebody encountering God. We like to often say that our main job here is to facilitate opportunities for people to encounter God. And every Sunday morning, our team huddles. And we recognize the Serve Teamer of the Week. And this morning when we got to do that, uh, we recognized Jalisa. And she's often greeting uh, on our uh, hospitality team or sometimes she's prepping coffee. And listen, we've gotten so many comments about the coffee here at the Becoming Church. Listen, it's Folgers. So it's it's available for you. But, but what 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 I highlighted was how sometimes, you know, if you're on the greeting team or if you're out there in the parking lot like, like Laurante and you're waving at people coming in, people can just dismiss that. It's like, well, that doesn't take any skill set, that doesn't take anything, or that doesn't mean anything. But you don't know the the the, the mom or the dad or the sister or the brother or the friend who's been praying for someone to come to service with them. And maybe for the last three months, they've been begging for them to show up. And just that morning while you're serving at the door and your job is just to wave they come. And so they come with this preconceived idea like, well, these people are going to be mean and rude and there's nothing but, you know, elitist in that place anyway and they think they're better than everyone and they're just so religious and they think they get everything right. But then they walk in that door and, they, and, well, even before then, they encounter a smile and a wave, by Laurente. But then they come, get out the car and they're walking towards the door and there's a group of people holding a pop sign smiling. And there's someone waving. And there's someone helping them check their kids in. And not pointing to where to go, but walking them where to go. And then they come in here and there's people that are saying, hey, let me help you find a seat. find some." All of that is tearing down the wall of pride. And you know what it's doing? It's positioning them to receive the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Do you know how it started? Come on, if you're going to clap, go ahead and clap. (laughs) Do you know how it started? It didn't start because they, they heard a song. It didn't start because they heard a message. It started because of a simple wave and a smile. And so that is my point. There is nothing that is insignificant in the kingdom. And so I'm challenging us this morning is to not disconnect, to disengage from the church, but to engage it. And if you say, well, they already have someone doing that, come on, let's fill the roster up. And you may only serve once a month now because there are so many people. You know, oftentimes, you know, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail in Matthew 16, 18. Some people take this idea that the church is going to be or is over in the corner in the fetal position, like, oh my gosh, here come the the world and we're just afraid and and we got to hide out. That's not what that means. When you look at the scripture, he says the gates of hell will not be able to overcome. So think about Redstone Arsenal here. Uh, We're familiar with that. There's gates around it. What's the purpose of the gates around that army post? It's to keep people out. Now, you can pull up to those gates and just drive through if you want to. You're going to have another situation on your hands. So what I'm saying is gates are meant to be stationary. Gates surround. Gates protect. Gates keep out. And so Jesus saying the gates of hell will not prevail or will not be able to stand against it. Gates don't move. So that means they're trying, there's some protection. That means this family, the church is actually on the offensive. And what we are bringing to hell Cannot stand against the attack, the offensive nature of the church. Come on. So that's why we have to be on the move. That's why we have to look at ourselves as a movement. There's no one else to do it. We are... The ones, we are the ones that have been called, we are the ones that have been equipped, we are the ones that have been chosen. And so we got to get out of this idea and being so concerned about what laws will be legislated and what people will think, what people will say. Because listen, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So stand up, walk, and live in the confidence of that, that we're on the offensive And there's work to do, family. Like there are broken, hurting people right here in our city, in our area. They exist. They're all around us. And can I tell you, those broken, those hurting people are easy to find. They're in here. That's us this morning. And it crosses ethnic lines. It crosses political lines. It crosses socioeconomic lines. The hurting people are closer than we think. And so what moves us to make a difference in the lives of people around us? What is going to get us? What is going to position us to make a difference? I'll tell you, we must have a burden. Because before you can address an issue, you must have a burden for it. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, I won't read it, but it's up on the screens. Jesus is standing and he sees the crowds. And it says this in verse 36 that he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were broken people. They were hurting people. They were lost people. But then he says this to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he says, What? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So it's very clear, family, that the lost, the broken, the hurting, those people are plentiful. But what's not plentiful are the workers. And so here's what, this is my assignment this morning to challenge us to become one of the workers because there are broken, hurting people who need the hope that we have discovered and encountered. They need to hear that same thing. Listen, it's not just enough for us to sit down on our salvation, but we've been called to get up to go into some of the darkest places and bring the light of Jesus, the hope of the world, the anchor of our soul. And then when you have encountered him, it's difficult for you to just sit there and not want to get that same hope and message to Jesus. He's calling us To be mobilized. You're like, yo, you're coming in heavy and strong with this. No, I just have a heart and passion that the Becoming Church will not be this community that is known to be isolated to themselves. But the church has been planted, family, to make a difference. If that's five of us or a thousand of us, we've been called to make a difference in the lives of people. Because no one else is going to do it. You say no other charities are going to do it? No other charities, no other, if they are not biblically based, if they're not Jesus-centered, then they haven't been commissioned in the same way like the church has been commissioned to do this. And so it starts with us. It starts with the church, the the called out ones to go to that harvest field that is plentiful. And so here's the question. Are you going to be a worker this morning? Are you going to be a bricklayer this morning? Are you going to go out into the spaces and places and say, Lord, how can I make a difference? But you know what you must first have? You must have a burden because building begins with the burden. Before you can build, you need a burden. So really quickly, here's how to build with a burden. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray first. So when Nehemiah heard the conditions of the walls, it moved him. He was overwhelmed with the condition that the things were in that he decided that something needed to be done. Or in other words, he had a burden in that moment because he, he it didn't sit well with him, what he heard, and he was moved by that. But what was the next thing that he did? did he immediately go and was like, cool, let's get some tools and start rebuilding the wall. No, he paused and he prayed. Look at Nehemiah 1.4. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Could it be that Nehemiah prayed first? Because although he had the burden, he realized he also needed A vision in order to know how to respond to the burden that he felt. And so, yes, building building begins with a burden, but we must pray to receive the vision and how to respond. Are you tracking with me this morning? Because listen, a burden with no vision is a dangerous place to be. Like, it's not enough to have a burden, but we also must have a vision. You know, when, when, when God Called Katie and I to be a part of planting the Becoming Church. Our mentality wasn't like, okay, cool, let's start it next week and see what happens. that had been foolish. But rather, we said, Lord, we have a burden for this city, but what is the vision? We need vision. In fact, Proverbs 29, 18 talks about that. Where there is no vision, the people get out of control. And I really thought that was a verse for my kids. <laughs> and then I try to give them vision. But it's not enough to have a burden. We need vision. Because when a burden lacks vision, listen to this. When a burden lacks vision, we'll find ourselves asking God to bless something that he never set in motion. Like, oh, Lord, I need you to bless this. Would you bless this business that I started? Would you bless this nonprofit that I'm about to get off the ground? Would you bless this move that I'm about to take? And he's like, I actually never told you to set that in motion. I never told you to get involved with that. And so then, could it be that's why there's so much resistance? Could it be that's why we're dealing with so much anxiety? Could it be that's why we're kind of feeling depression? Because we've gotten ourselves into something that God never intended for us to be in the first place. And so the question is, or maybe the idea is, that we need to pray before we move. And maybe you're like, yo, I did pray. And I heard the Lord, I had had the burden, I prayed, and I got the vision. And then here's what I would say to that, are you sure? And what's the definition of prayer that you're working with? Because I found this out, that our prayers with God have become us giving information rather than us seeking revelation. It's where we say, Hey, God, this is what I'm about to do, and you're cool with it because I'm cool with it. Amen. And we go on and do it. But then when things start to not work out, that's where the anxiety creeps in. That's where the stress keeps in. And we feel like, oh, I got haters. And you're like, you don't have haters. You just didn't have revelation. Revelation. You just weren't called to do this in this time. And I may have put that dream in your heart, but that dream may not have been for today. That dream may have been for two years from now, for five years from now. Even when, the, when Paul had his conversion moment, he went away first. He just didn't go right around and start getting into action and bringing the gospels to the Gentiles. He actually went away. And so oftentimes, we find ourselves trying to inform God rather than seeking revelation from him. That some of us, we go to God seeking confirmation when we should be seeking consultation. God, what do you have to say about this? How do you feel about this? What are you saying about this? Remember, prayer is an exchange. And some of us, prayer has just been this one-way conversation. But prayer is an exchange. It's an opportunity for us to release our heart to God and in the process, hear his heart about something. Lord, what are you saying about this? How should I move on this? How should I respond? And that's why when we announced the Bricklayer's offering all the way back on October 2nd, we didn't take the offering that Sunday. We didn't take it any other Sundays close to it. There's several weeks from October 2nd and December 11th. Why? Because we didn't want you to feel like you were giving out of some uh, feeling of emotion or just excitement. Like, that's cool, but no. And we also wanted you to take time to ask God what you should do. Why? Because giving should never be done out of emotion or manipulation or some sad song or story, but instead out of cheerfulness. It's hearing from God on what to do that I'm not coming to you with information, but I'm rather coming to you with for consultation. Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to take a risk. This is how to build with the burden, take a risk. You know, it's one thing to pray before taking action, but it's another thing to hear what the Lord has said and then go and do it. Are you tracking with me? Like how many of you have ever prayed those prayers that made you go, are you sure, God? That made you kind of scratch your head a little bit? And if you haven't, I'm going to challenge you with this. Your prayers are not scary. Like, you need to pray those scary prayers. Like, you need to pray those prayers that keep you up at night. You need to pray those prayers that make you call, phone a friend, be like, yo, I need, I need you to talk me through this because I feel like God is calling me to do this. These kind of prayers that make you just kind of step back and look a little bit. Why? Because the things that God called us to, the reason why they should be scary it's because they highlight how beyond they are of you. Like if this is going to be, it's it's God. If this is going to happen, it's God. If this is going to be a reality, it's God. It's not my skill set. It's not my intellect. It's not my ability. It's not any of that. And that's what Katie and I felt when the Lord was like, yo, you're going to be a part of planting the Becoming Church. And it was like. Are you sure, God? I think there's another Michael down the street that you meant to talk to. But listen, family, it involves taking a risk. And I'm so thankful for men and women who took a risk that watched some video of Katie and I sitting in this store on some stools sharing this story when we didn't know if anybody would come other than us and our three kids. But then there were men and women that showed up, that came out to a startup party, that joined a team off of some 10-minute vision casting that they still probably really didn't even know what was going on. But they saw the heart of God in it. They caught the vision, God's vision of it. And now some of those same people are the people who are responsible for making this thing go every single Sunday and throughout the week. Because there were men and women who said building begins with a burden. And part of that includes taking a risk. But just because the church has launched is not the place to stop. That there are more risks for us to take that we can't play it safe. Oftentimes people say, well, I won't move until I have clarity from God. Listen, family, you're never going to get clarity from God. You know why? Because faith and clarity don't mix. God doesn't call us to a life of clarity. He calls us to a life of faith. Abraham, I want you to take your son up, and I want you to sacrifice him. What's going to happen next? I don't know, but this is what I'm telling you to do, Noah, I want you to just build a boat for this thing called rain. What is rain? We've never seen it. Listen, just go build the boat. Michael and Katie, join this process of planting the becoming church. Lord, what is it gonna be? I don't know. You don't know, but just go do what I told you and you'll see what it will become. What is that thing that He's put in your heart to say, Listen, get up and go do this? And you're trying to calculate the numbers, you're trying to calculate the courses, and He says you can't. But go and do. Go and take the risk. I got to finish. Building isn't a sure path, but it involves taking a risk. And look what Nehemiah, he took a risk. Nehemiah 2, verse 1 through 2. In the month of Nisan, not Honda, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, some of you got it late, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. He's a cupbearer. You can't be sad as a cupbearer in the presence of the king. Because the king is like, is this something I should know about? That you already taste this and you're starting to feel bad? So, in fact, the king's like, yo, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Like, you, you didn't call out sick, so you should be good. This could be nothing but sadness of the heart. Nehemiah took a risk in this moment. It was not ideal for anyone to display any emotion around the king, especially when you're the cupbearer. But listen, Nehemiah said that this thing, this burden that I feel, it was worth taking this risk. And it was that risk that he took that ultimately gave him the opportunity to speak about the issues that were facing Jerusalem. Family, could it be that sometimes taking a risk brings the solution to the problem that exists? What if the solution to the burden involves taking a risk? And sometimes the change we want to bring to a situation, situation, it requires us to take a risk, doing something that will make a difference, family. It is never going to be safe, but instead it's going to be risky. And listen, I'm not advocating taking a risk just for the sake of taking a risk, That's not wisdom. Go read Proverbs. (laughs) I'm communicating that anything that's going to bring change, anything that's going to make a difference, that's going to have a significant impact will always require a risk. It was a risk for Noah to get those animals in the boat. It was a risk for Moses to stand right there at that sea. It was a risk for David to face that giant with those five smooth stones. It involves a risk. You know what people are going to say? You're crazy. It doesn't make sense. And what your response should be is, I am. And it doesn't. But it's God. And that's the place where you want to be, in the will of the Lord. And the only way to know that it's from God is to seek God. And so here it is again when the king asked Nehemiah what he wanted. Nehemiah prayed before the king. Why? Because prayer eliminates us and it fills us with him. It fills us with God. So your prayer can be this moment to literally, again, release you and your feelings about it and receive God. And that's what we need when we go take this risk. And here's the third thing. Micah, if you'll play, because if you play, then I'll stop talking. Remember the mission. So we're talking about how to build with a burden. That it involves us, to, it includes praying first. Then we must take a risk. And now we must remember the mission. So Simon Sinek in his book called Start With Why, he says this. Regardless of what we do in our lives, our why Our driving purpose, cause, or belief never changes. So regardless of what we do, our why we're doing that thing never changes. Here's what I'm saying. We must have a why because the why gives purpose to the what. If there is no why, then the what will not make sense. So if we do not have a why, like for these bricks that we're laying, these bricks that that God is using us to build what he's building, then our building will be in vain. Then every distraction is going to disrupt us. Every mountain to climb will halt our momentum. And so if you haven't tracked with what I'm saying, family, I'm saying we need a why. And Nehemiah had that. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, when I said to him, when I said to them, you can see the trouble we have here. Jerusalem is a pile of ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And here's his why. So we won't be full of shame any longer. Your why is your mission. And the why of the becoming church is our mission, and it's simple. It's to help people live closer to God. That's the mission. So every single thing that we do, every song we sing, everything, it's all going to point back to that mission. Why do you guys do that to help people live closer to God? Why do you guys say that that way to help people live closer to God? Why you don't do this? Because it doesn't help people live closer to God. Why do you have nights like a couple Thursdays ago, pursuit night to help people live closer to God? Why do you participate in I Love My City Saturdays? It's to serve our community and help people live closer to God. It's not about driving them to attend another event or just having more programs. But family, it's about facilitating opportunities for people to encounter God. And for us to do that is going to take us to use what God has given us. We must use our time, our talent. In our treasure. Listen, family, no one else is coming to do this. Like we are the ones. No one is gonna love our city the way that we love it. No one's gonna take care of the city. No one's gonna pray for the city. No one's gonna believe for this city. No one's gonna be committed to the people of Huntsville, Madison, the surrounding areas like we are. So when it gets tough and when it gets difficult, do you know what we'll do? We'll go back to the why to see you live closer to God. We want to see people live closer to God and live the open, big life that they've been called to live. Not a life filled with money, cars. It's not what that's about. It can be that, but it's not what this is about. But it's a life that looks like love, a life that looks like generosity, a life that looks like compassion, a life that looks like faith, a life that looks like hope, family, a life that looks like Jesus. And you may say, listen, I just moved here. Or I'm getting ready to move away from here. Or I'm here and I don't even like that I'm here. We all have this responsibility that we're about to see in Scripture. Jeremiah 29 and 7. It says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. <laughs> you may feel like you're in exile. But he says, pray to the Lord for it. Pray for this city. Believe in this city. Why? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So oftentimes, we curse the thing that we should be blessing. You are here for a reason, whether you understand that reason or not. And here's what the Lord is saying. Seek the peace and prosperity of that city, or you can look at it this way. Seek the peace and prosperity of your place of employment. Seek the peace and prosperity of your home, because guess what? If it prospers, so will you. So no matter if you're wondering why are you here or you know why you are here, the Lord brought you here. And his desire is for you to seek the peace and prosperity of this city. Because as it prospers, so will you. And that's what we have an opportunity to do, family. To be a community committed to the peace and prosperity of this city. It's our responsibility. So here's the thing that I want you to take home this morning and throughout this week is that you build with a burden when you see the vision of what could be. Vision is that thing that you see when your eyes are closed. And right now when my eyes are closed, I see marriages restored. I'm seeing the sick healed. I'm seeing the broken restored. I'm seeing the lost found. I'm seeing the prodigal coming home. I'm seeing the addict delivered. I'm seeing restoration, healing, and peace. I'm seeing people meeting in homes all around this city, sharing the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. But it takes a burden, family. And that's what we have an opportunity to connect with today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather in this space. And Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we will have a burden, Lord, a burden to build. But, Father, before we move to building anything, that we'll pray first Got that prayer that will not be all that we can do, but it will be the first thing that we do, to receive vision on how to build. And then, Lord, we'd be willing to take a risk. And God, after we step out and take that risk, and when it gets tough and when it seems dicey, that we will remember the why, we'll remember the mission, which points back to the why, to help people live closer to God. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're one of those people who do not live closer to God, who do not live close to God. I want to invite you to a relationship with him this morning. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he sees you. And Listen, he he died for you. You didn't know him, but he knew you. And there's nothing required of you in this moment but to simply say yes. There's not a checklist in front of you or anything like that. But just to say yes to this invitation of living in his grace and his love and his mercy. So I'm not going to make this moment long. I'm not going to draw this out. But maybe... You've been feeling that knock at the door. Maybe this is a decision that you've pondered for a while. And maybe today you feel it's the time that you're ready to say yes. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you, would you just simply raise your hand? And I'm going to pray with you in a moment. But just raising that hand just as an acknowledgment, saying that's me. Thank you, Jesus. and may I see your hand. I'm going to ask all of us in this moment to join in with the hands that were raised as a place of solidarity and repeat this prayer after me. But say this, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent for all I've done wrong. I believe that you died and rose again for me. And so today I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. I choose to trust you with every area of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.